this was the first politician got murdered by a suspected neo-Nazi since the end of the Second World War. Coming up on Studio Berlin, how the murder of a local politician has alarmed the public on far-right extremism and violence in Germany. This is also not a new phenomenon. We already had arson attacks, manhunts and things like that in the early 90s. How does the government combat extremism? And what do we know about far-right groups? In this melting pot you can find everything from hooligans to neo-Nazis to hardcore conspiracy theorists and everything in between. Stay tuned for more on right-wing extremism. Up next on Studio Berlin. Welcome to Studio Berlin, our weekly current affairs show here on KCRW Berlin. Each week we're taking a closer look at the events and issues moving us here in Germany's capital and in Europe. I think any kind of extremism is, is dangerous. Anyway, both left and right. It should be alarming that, that the words we try to ignore online tend to become actions. It's a sickness in our world and I think it's always been there. I don't think that uh, the, the, the rise of the extreme right in Germany, this is a Germany-specific problem, but rather a trend all over the world, which actually for me is even scarier. I'm your host, Sumi Somaskanda. This week we're discussing a topic that has been in the news here in Germany in recent months, and it's an issue that is raising concern across Europe and also in the US, right-wing extremism and political violence across the spectrum. Here with me today is Till Eckert. He's an investigative journalist with Collective. Uh, that is one of Germany's leading investigative journalism platforms. Uh, he researches and writes on mis- and disinformation on the extreme right and the new right here in Germany. Hi, Till. Hey. And we also have Onur Özata. He is a criminal attorney here in Germany. Onur represented the family of one of the victims of the NSU, the National Socialist Underground. That was a right-wing extremist terrorist group that killed 10 people in Germany, and we'll be talking more about that later. Hi, Onur. Hi. All right, let's start with the recent far-right violence and terror that has been a huge topic of public debate here. On June 2nd, Walter Lübcke, a local politician in the German city of Kassel, was shot dead at his home. He was a member of Chancellor Angela Merkel's conservative CDU party, and he became a target for the far right because he publicly welcomed refugees and migrants. Lübke is speaking here at a town hall discussion in 2015, saying we have to stand up for our values. And if you don't support those values, you can leave the country. Any German is free to do so. And it was that statement in 2015 that made Lübke, who was otherwise not really known on a national level, an enemy of the far right from politicians uh, to neo-Nazi groups. So let's talk about this. Uh, Till, you know, po police arrested a man in the Lübke case who had been linked to right-wing motivated crimes in the past. He confessed to this murder and then retracted. So what do we know about what actually happened? Uh, what we know is uh, that Walter Lübcke got shot in the head on his terrace in early June. Uh, the suspected killer, as you uh, mentioned, is a known neo-Nazi called uh, Stefan E., who, amongst other things, uh, tried to attack an asylum home back in uh, 1993. 
His suspected motive uh, is refugee-friendly statements uh, Lübke did back in 2015, uh, where the so-called refugee crisis took place. Uh, he confessed the murder uh, shortly after the federal attorney took over the case, but withdrawn from the confession after he changed his lawyer. Um, he sits in prison uh, for more than a month now. Uh, investigations are still ongoing. Latest news about the investigation, um, as the Spiegel reported last week, he led the investigators to the hideout uh, where the suspected murder weapon, uh, a revolver, was found amongst a pump gun and a submachine gun on the property of his former employer, as forensics showed. Okay, so police are still investigating. But put this into context for us, Till. How significant is this? We're talking about possibly a right-wing motivated murder on German soil. It's very shocking. Uh, there, of course, has been murders and attacks for political reasons before. But this was uh, the first politician got murdered by a suspected neo-Nazi since the end of the Second World War. I'm sure authorities and departments are at least, uh, let's say, alarmed Okay, so this is a really extremist scene. You mentioned the word alarmed. And let's listen to what the Interior Minister Horst Seehofer had to say about this case. A right-wing extremist attack on a leading representative of the state is an alarm signal and is aimed at all of us. So, Honor, we hear the Interior Minister there saying this is an alarm signal. What did you make as a criminal attorney of this case and the difficulties that investigators are having? Well, uh, this is not a new phenomenon. We had um, racist murder cases and racist attacks in former years. Um, but there are striking parallels to the NSU murder series. Till mentioned that he got shot in the head in an execution style um, because he was a representative of the state. And also the perpetrator didn't claim any responsibility. So um, this is um, characteristic for um, neo-Nazi uh, terrorism, for right-wing terrorism. What about the investigation itself? Because this is a big question. What kind of networks could the suspect possibly have had uh, if he indeed uh, was the person who carried out this crime? Um, how difficult is it for police to nail down how connected somebody is? Fortunately, the investigations led quickly to uh, the alleged perpetrator, Stefan E., um, of course, now we, we don't have so much information and it has to be investigated if he had any co accomplices um, or was embedded in a broader network. Uh, as far as we know, uh, he was affiliated to uh, Combat 18 and Blood and Honor, which are um, international networks, um, neo-Nazi networks. And But uh, still, we don't have enough information here. The main problem with the right-wing extremist scene is that they are hermetically sealed in a way. Um, it's very, it's a very conspirative milieu. Let me give you an example here. Um, I'm a representative of um, a relative of a victim of the NSU terror cell. Which we're going to talk about a little bit more later in the show. And in um, one of the court hearings at the um, District Court of Munich against the terror cell, there um, was one of the um, defendants, André E., who had a T-shirt one day, and on this T-shirt it was written Brüder Schweigen, uh, which means brother stay silent. So um, this was a message to the court, and but also to his brotherhood outside of the court, um, saying I, I will stay silent and I won't help. Um, I won't help um, the um, the state to clarify these uh, murder cases. Mm -hmm. And he was successful with this strategy. 
Till, maybe we can take a step back listening to what Owner was saying, and we will get into what the NSU was and uh, the crimes that they carried out. But we keep talking about right-wing extremism and terror. What are we talking about when we use those words, and how many people are we talking about here? There is no uh, single definition for what is right-wing extremism. It's more like an umbrella term for a scene or people who are sharing a radical extremist uh, political viewpoint on the very edges of the far-right ideology. Uh, and in this melting pot, you can find everything from hooligans to neo-Nazis to hardcore conspiracy theorists and everything in between. If we talk about right-wing extremism, we mean a worldview which is nationalist, racist, patriotic and anti-constitutional, which is a very important point because the aim is to form an uh, authoritarian or even totalitarian order. And those people are willing to use violence to get there. So, yeah, speaking of numbers... The latest report for 2018 of the uh, Verfassungsschutz, our so-called constitutional protection, who uh, monitors the scene, speaks of uh, approximately 25,000 right-wing extremists in Germany. Approximately 12,000 are ready to use violence. In numbers, we only speak about 100 people more in comparison with 2017, but I always like to emphasize that we should not only look on the numbers, but more on the quality of their behavior. Um, there's, uh, for example, uh, this high danger for imitators and follow-up cases to one event because of the underlaid psychology and structure of the scene, like Honor mentioned before. Okay, so let's talk about the quality of that violence, Honor. What kinds of crimes are we talking about? And there's this big trend towards also online hate, uh, hate speech on social media. How difficult is it to prosecute? First of all, we have to differentiate here. Um, on the one hand, right-wing violence expresses itself in assault and battery. Further, in the last years, especially since the refugee crisis 2015, there was a large increase in attacks against refugee domiciles and mosques and so on. And the state was not able to provide the necessary security here. Um, the last level of escalation then is obviously uh, manslaughter and murder, like in the case of Walter Lübcke. But this is also not a new phenomenon. We already had arson attacks, manhunts, and things like that in the early 90s. Uh, so... The, the state um, underestimates here um, this kind of crimes. Another dimension of hate crime is what you mentioned, um, Sumi, is hate speech, online as well as offline. And um, there also is a measurable increase of um, this sort of crime, especially in the internet and in social media and those kind of platforms. Till I have to ask you about left-wing extremism. That's another type of politically motivated violence that does exist here in Germany. So tell us about that spectrum of political violence. Well, there is, of course, left-wing terrorism and violence, but it shows that it's uh, not the same, neither in numbers, uh, nor are the targets the same, because I think the issues are, from my perspective, not really comparable. When it comes to crimes in total, right-wing extremism is outnumbering uh, left-wing extremism by a lot. We talk about approximately 19,000 cases against 5,000 uh, cases. And violence within uh, the right-wing extremist scene shows to be mostly racist attacks. It's 770 out of 938 mayhem cases in total, according to the Verfassungsschutz report. At the side of the left-wing extremist violence, there has been 363 cases of mayhem in total, mostly against right-wing extremists and state forces like the police. 
we should say that um, there was left-wing extremist violence uh, targeted towards the far-right political party here, the AFD. There was a bomb placed outside one of their offices in the state of Saxony. Uh, one of their politicians was attacked. So they are also facing uh, this type of violence, aren't they? They are, definitely. You can say that like this, but would I say we see an increase in political violence in general? I would say yes, we do so. Okay, and Unur, what kind of tools, because we're talking about this political violence that seems to be on the rise here from what the numbers that we're seeing, what tools does the state have to act here? Germany is a strong state. It has strong security services. It has 21 secret services, for instance, which should be able to observe the entire extremist right-wing scene. It's a question of, of priorities which, which are set here. The authorities have a variety of instruments to deal with the threat from the far right. They have a lot of manpower. But um, yeah, what the real problem is, is um, that they don't set the right priorities and they underestimate the far right. And uh, still right-wing extremism is downplayed. We'll talk more about what many here in Germany describe as a massive failure by police and the entire security infrastructure, a decade-long killing spree carried out by right-wing extremist terrorists. And also the question, does the polarization of politics breed extremism? You're listening to Studio Berlin on 104.1 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Public radio programs attract educated consumers and business decision makers. You can reach this highly desirable audience with your company's marketing message on KCRW Berlin. Isn't it time to make our listeners your customers? Find out how by emailing us at sponsorships at kcrwberlin.org or online at kcrwberlin.com slash sponsorships. Welcome back to 104.1 FM. I'm Sumi Somaskanda. This week on Studio Berlin, we're talking about right-wing extremism and political violence in Germany with our guests Till Eckert, an investigative journalist from Collective, and a criminal attorney, Honor Özata. We've been talking about the murder of politician Walter Lübcke that has raised the specter of far-right terrorism and violence in Germany. But it does come after another case that really rocked this country. Uh, the National Socialist Underground, or NSU, was a neo-Nazi group that, between 2000 and 2007, carried out the racially motivated killings of nine men and also a policewoman. And authorities came under huge criticism here for botching this investigation. Uh, the head of Germany's domestic intelligence agency even resigned when it came out that his agency had shredded documents that were related uh, to this case. And the only living member of this group, um, Beata Cepa, was convicted of murder and other crimes. She was sentenced to life in prison in July of last year. Owner, you represented the family of one of the victims. How is it that a terrorist group could carry out these crimes for nearly a decade undetected? What did you learn from this case? Well, um, Chancellor Angela Merkel gave a promise uh, to the relatives of the victims at the official memorial service in 2012. She said that the state will do everything to clarify this murder series and that the state will do everything to investigate who aided and abetted the NSU. But um, if we look at this promise, it's, it has been broken. And because um, still today, we don't know who all was involved in this network. We had uh, 12 inquiry committees uh, during the last years, and um, they found out, they concluded that there must have been a network. 
So these questions, they're still not clarified and they're not answered. In a nutshell, the authorities failed massively in the NSU case. Um, German police agencies repeatedly claimed that the Turkish victims were um, were not real victims. They claimed that they were part of these crimes and um, that they are mafia members and so on and so on. And only because they were not German victims. It was because they were Turkish victims. And this is also something which shows the, the institutionalized racism here. So hearing that the state failed in many ways, authorities failed in many ways to prevent this from happening and also to find out what happened after the fact, how do people protect themselves? How does the state learn to better protect people from this type of violence? The state shouldn't um, underestimate the right-wing extremist menace in our country. If you uh, look at the news now, then um, you hear about this organization Nordkreuz, which consists of around about 30 people from the security um, services in Germany, from police, former task force members and so on. And these people, they were preparing for the day X, which means the day when they will start to fight against the state and um, to take over the state. And they they made lists of people they want to shoot, people who are not sharing their political views. Still nowadays, the state fails to to protect those people. And one of the people on those lists was Walter Lübcke, as we know, that he was murdered for his political views. But I want to mention it's it it, it was never easier than now to um, really observe and monitor uh, the networks because like they know how to use the internet. We use uh, the authorities also know or, or should know how to use the internet and how to uh, dig into the networks and dig into the platforms where they are connecting themselves. Is it really fair to say authorities' failures are really on the right end of the spectrum, that they're only blind to far-right extremism? If you look at the case of the terrorist attack that took place here in Berlin in 2016 when Anis Amri drove a truck into a crowd of people at a Christmas market killing 12 people, authorities there also proved that there were major lapses in their investigation, and also they had been tracking Anis Amri before he carried out his attack. So is it really just right-wing extremism that authorities are not following up on well enough? I think it's especially a case of right-wing extremism, because um, in especially in the NSU context, we could see that the, that the domestic secret services obstructed the clarification uh, by shredding files and by holding back information and if we look at the files in um, in Hessen, another another federal state, they are uh, locked for uh, 120 years, and um, this is not showing their will to go after those right wing extremists. Well, we've been talking a little bit about the atmosphere that we're in politically here, and we have another voice joining us on the line to talk about that political dimension. Uh, what toxic political debate has to do with violence. We have Tarek Abuchadi joining us on the line. He's a political scientist at the University of Zurich, where he looks at uh, European politics and uh, elections and also the radical right. Hi, Tarek. Good to have you. Hi. Now, we saw the head of the conservative CDU party here, Annika Kamp-Karrenbauer, say that the AFD, this is the, the far-right populist party in Germany, was complicit in the murder of Walter Lübcke uh, for breaking taboos in language, lowering inhibitions that can then be you know, weaponized and, and turned into violence. Is that really fair? Um, this is a very difficult question to answer because on the one hand, of course, 
there was extreme right violence because before the AFD existed, right? There were a lot of right-wing extremist murders. The, the NSU happened before the AFD existed. But then on the other hand, it's also clear to say how we are increasingly in an atmosphere that uh, legitimizes and normalizes a radical right discourse. And um, we, we can believe that this supports people in their, in their also violent ideas to, um, to go ahead with these attacks. So um, it's a bit of a yes and no. Let's talk about political violence in general. Both on the left and the right, we're seeing more online violence, verbal violence, also physical violence. Um, mm-hmm. Why is that? Is it social media? Is it really the anonymity of, of online platforms? For online, uh, for online violence, of course, we have this new form of verbal violence uh, that that seems to increase, especially in social media, especially when, when people have these this anonymous access. Again, we've seen right-wing extremist violence before social media existed. So I would say it's not this monocausal idea that we, we are in this new wave because of social media. Um, but generally what we can say is if there is a certain type of media attention and a certain type of discourse, then these types of attacks increase. What about the rest of Europe and perhaps also the U.S.? Can you make comparisons in the type of political language we're seeing? Um, Yes, I think you can make comparisons. It's also the fact that these networks work internationally by now, so they're not just national networks, ironically, if you think about their their ideology in a way. Um, So you can make comparisons. There are certain shared types of um, ideological predispositions, but also the type of rhetoric they use is, is very comparative. Of course, every country has its own specific history of uh, extreme right groups, far right groups, and also the countries differs in differ in how much um, these groups are linked to uh, radical right parties that are in parliament or even in government sometimes. So, Tarek, given that background that you just gave us, what mm-hmm. is normal political discourse today? So the discourse has certainly shifted to the right in terms of uh, an anti-immigrant rhetoric in the past. 10 years. Um, and this is because when, when radical right parties have become more successful, other parties have followed them in the types of policies they've suggested, and they've normalized their type of discourse. So very clearly compared to 10, 15 years ago, we can see that the, the, the elite level discourse, the public discourse has shifted um, to the right, and many things have become normalized. Till you're nodding to what Tarek is saying, from what you've seen in following right-wing extremist um, scenes here in Germany, is that true? Is this the political discourse that's shifted to the right and allowed uh, a type of behavior that wouldn't have been possible in the past? I would say yes. And I'd also say, uh, I want to also mention that um, I can see from from my um, investigations and monitoring um, disinformation and the far right that... Um, especially the AfD is disinforming um, every day, multiple times on uh, social media. Um, very, they, they, their postings get very viral. They are, they are posting things which are not uh, real, not true or partly true or um, made up. Also, they are, um, you know, um, reposting things from right-wing bloggers and, and um, real hoax websites and stuff. So they um, are very effectively disinforming here. Um, and so this is also, from my perspective, leading to an um, increase of like um, violence in speech um, in social media. And if I may add, uh, I believe there's a 
a strong correlation between the, the shift in the rhetoric and the violence, which is increasing. Um, the crime against the murder against Walter Lübcke didn't come out of nowhere. There, there was a, an infamous campaign run by um, the IFD for, for years against him. Okay, Tarek, I'll give you the last word here since you're on the line from Zurich. What can and should the state do to combat political extremism across the spectrum? So first of all, on the side of the, the state, it's taking this threat seriously. And it still seems to me that if you compare how the state reacts to um, Islamist terrorism or the threat of it um, compared to right-wing, right-wing terrorism, they're doing just much, much less. And so, so I feel taking this, this really seriously in, for, on the side of the Secret Service, the police, and so on, um, would be an important first step. And then on the other side, it's more what, what the, the public can do. And this is, this is media, politicians, and just the general public. Uh, really is we need to point out how we have legitimized and normalized a certain type of, um, of radical right discourse, how we are continuously giving these people a platform and help them to really um, spread an, a type of ideology and mobilize people against immigrants. Well, that's all we have time for for Studio Berlin this week. Thank you so much to our guests here in our studio, Till and Onur and Tarek on the line. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening to Studio Berlin, our new current affairs show here on KCRW Berlin. I'm Sumi Somaskanda.